good evening, everybody. Um, yeah, I wish I could see you, uh, but uh, we can't beat the sunshine, the weather we have right now. So I hope that everybody's taking the opportunity to get outside and, and enjoy it. Uh, looking forward to it myself. Um, in fact, I've, I've got too many sunburns in the last month. Uh, I don't want to complain about that, but anyway, it's been nice <clears throat> getting things done outside and uh, trying to keep uh, myself and my family busy. But anyway, uh, lately, um, I've been talking to a lot of people, and everyone seems to be experiencing uh, either a multitude or a variety of different emotions in regard to the lockdown and, uh, and you know, the idea of when or, or how the church is going to reopen. Uh, some people are very discouraged. Uh, other people are frustrated. Some are just restless, uh, impatient. Uh, some people are just experiencing all of them, it seems, at one time. Uh, I want to encourage you to just hang in there. Uh, this is going to end sometime. Uh, I've heard and I am hearing what I think is probably uh, every perspective on the issue. And I'll likely be sharing my convictions about all of this in the next couple of weeks. For now, uh, I would like you to be considering uh, a few things because whatever we do uh, is going to have to be in, co- in, in, in consideration of a combination of things. So there's three things I want you to be considering during this time. Uh, it, it is a matter of uh, civil obedience according to Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 that deserves our consideration, our time, our prayers. Uh, it, it's going to require love and humility as uh, that is directed by godly wisdom and discernment uh, from Philippians chapter one, verse nine through 11. But ultimately, it's going to fall upon the authority of God's word as it's found in Acts chapter two, verse 42, and then Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Um, Now, as I've taught before, uh, and uh, whether you were here when I taught that, Uh, I don't know, but I have taught before a number of times that if we are able to obey God and the government at the same time, uh, we must obey the government. But when we can no longer obey God and the government, we must obey God uh, even in spite of the government. Now, where we are exactly with all of that uh, is being hotly debated, uh, not just among uh, politicians, Uh, but theologians, prominent uh, evangelical theologians and uh, among pastors. Some are saying we're still on this side of civil obedience because uh, they they see no unfair treatment of the church and therefore we must obey the authorities. Others are waiting to see if in the next phase, if there will be uh, some unfair treatment of the church versus other comparable gatherings. And still others say that we've been pushed over the edge and now's the time to open the churches in spite of the governor's restrictions. Now, I'm currently on one side of the middle, but I'm reluctant to tell which side because I want absolute clarity from the Lord before I represent him publicly and affect anyone's decisions. I am more concerned about dishonoring and disobeying Christ than I am any human authority. So uh, my fear of God is definitely going to be the ultimate thing that leads uh, to my decision in all of this. And at the same time, I will not criticize or oppose the direction that anyone's conscience leads them 
if they have strong biblical justification either way. Uh, That is, I'm not going to affirm or reject what people believe they need to do in obedience to the scriptures. And I know that in the next couple weeks, um, churches and leaders are going to make decisions all over the map. And uh, at this point, I'm quite all right with whatever they decide, uh, as long as they have biblical support for what they're doing, and they're doing it in faith. Uh, But with all of that said, uh, I want to encourage you to stay away from all of the Facebook theologians uh, and instead get into the word and get on your knees for your guidance. Facebook is a breeding ground uh, for chaos and confusion uh, and arguments and a whole bunch of other stuff. Your Bible is trustworthy and its authority is final. And that's, as Christians, that's where we should be. And I would expect nothing less from uh, those that attend this fellowship because that is the example that we've left for all of you. So anyway, uh, with all that said, I wanna encourage you to hang in there. Uh, I'm gonna be meeting with the elders this coming Tuesday. We would like your prayers. I think we're going to uh, become more and more serious about um, uh, a plan of what we're gonna do. And, uh, and then we will report to you guys. So anyway, uh, we are together tonight to consult the word of God for its authority, for its direction. And uh, so let's get into our study. Uh, we're about halfway through the section of Romans chapter 12 that we started on uh, at the beginning of the lockdown. And so uh, what we've been doing, we've been going one uh, verse at a time. Uh, But that might change in the next couple of weeks because uh, as we get toward the end of the the chapter here, the verses will be more interconnected, and so I'd like to address them uh, collectively. So, as we've been doing, I want to read the whole section uh, again in its entirety, Um, well, until you have it memorized. So, anyway, excuse me, I'll be reading out of the ESV. Uh, In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its wisdom, Lord, its direction. And Lord, most of all, thank you for its authority. Uh, your word is to be followed, and, and we are to appeal to your grace that we might do it accordingly, Lord, for your glory, for the good of uh, your people. And uh, 
So we just pray that as we look at our text tonight, that you would speak to us, you would convict us, and Lord, you'd grant us grace to walk in it. So Lord, we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, return with me to verse 16, where Paul says, live in the harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, we can look at this passage from a couple different angles, uh, as Paul is instructing us on how to foster harmony and humility, or Paul is instructing us on how not to destroy harmony and humility. Paul says that we ought to be doing two things, and we ought to be avoiding two other things. We are to be living harmoniously with each other and associating with the lowly, and we are to avoid being haughty and wise in our own sight. Uh, both are legitimate ways to look at the passage, and your perspective may depend on where you are with regard to each. If you're living harmoniously with other believers in humility, then the passage encourages you to uh, stay the course. But if you are not living harmoniously with your Christian siblings, then for you, it shows you how to get back on track. It might even serve as a rebuke to you. Now, we have probably been on both sides of this passage at various times in our Christian experience, but hopefully, as we mature in Christ, the passage is more and more encouraging than redirecting. Be that as it may, as we look closer at this passage, try to determine where you are currently in relation to these things so you can either be encouraged or redirected. Now, and as always, uh, we want to discuss the context of the verse with its pertinent concepts so we can soundly interpret the passage and then we'll be in a good position to apply the principles to our lives. The first sentence reads, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Because harmony uh, is to be practiced with one another it's only reasonable to say that Paul's talking about how Christians should behave toward each other. He's referring to how Christians ought to exist together. So in other words, this is the conduct of the family of God to those in the family. Uh, there are a number of verses in this section that refer to our conduct toward those who are not in the family of God, but this one is about how we live together as the body of Christ. That's the context. Let's, let's look at the concepts Live in harmony with one another. Literally, it is to be of the same mind toward one another. Hence, live in harmony with each other. When we're talking about harmony, I think it's important to distinguish it from the concept of peace. Peace and harmony are not, are not necessarily the same thing. Peace is essentially the absence of conflict, which... Paul is definitely calling for, but the concept of peace doesn't always mean that there is friendship or that people are working together in mutual agreement and love. You know, many countries are at peace with one another, but that doesn't mean they have friendly dealings with each other or they work toward anything together. There is peace, but there's really nothing harmonious about their relationship. Also, two people that abstain from arguing may be at peace with each other, but that does not mean they're in harmony with each other. To be in harmony does not only imply the absence of conflict, it requires the presence of unity, solidarity, uh, unanimity. 
Now, solidarity, of course, is currently a political buzzword today, so let's just stick with unanimity and unity. When two parties are in harmony, their petty disagreements and squabbles are eclipsed by the greater virtue of unity and love. In fact, those differences may never be addressed because for harmony's sake, it's just not important. And if they were discussed, little would become of it because harmony is the greater virtue. Now, before I get an email from someone defending the priority of truth, let me explain. I said petty disagreements and squabbles. I did not say the issue of abortion should be eclipsed by unity or that the fundamental doctrines of the faith should take a back seat. This is not unity at the expense of truth. This is harmony in spite of people's differences and immaturity, including our own. People in harmony work together for the glory of God when differences are present. The only time harmony is necessary in a moral context is actually when differences exist. And that's what makes harmony virtuous. When Christians divide over non-essential things, and by essential I mean that which the Bible upholds as essential, not what our culture or Facebook uphold as essential, but when believers divide over what is non-essential, it's a demonstration of immaturity and a lack of charity. We've failed the test of maturity and love. You know, Paul would say that when Christians divide over petty and doubtful things, they are carnal and acting like mere men, like people who are not saved. He says, you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. In fact, all of Romans 14 and chapter 15 are devoted to non-essential things that believers argue about but should not be argued about. It's about stuff that we, we're withholding grace from our brother or sister when we should be extending it. We should be giving grace to those that are tripping up on minor issues. And when we don't give them grace, it's just childish. But harmony in the presence of differences is commendable. It's Christ-like. Harmony is how the conduct of the family of God should be defined. This is how an outsider should describe us. They should be asking themselves, how do those Christians get along so well with all their differences and opinions, personalities and backgrounds? That should confuse the world because the world loves to capitalize and magnify the differences and then divide over it and argue. You know, I love how diverse our fellowship is. We're not just ethnically diverse for Lewis County. We're denominationally diverse with a multitude of different personalities, backgrounds, and theological opinions. If anything, we keep it interesting at Calvary Chapel. But whatever we do, let's be sure to live in harmony for the glory of God, even when our differences rise to the surface. When we have harmony in that context, we're passing the test of maturity. And if someone just can't live in harmony with us, the truth is, if they just cannot, they should find a different fellowship where they can be a blessing. And if they can't be a blessing to anyone, uh, we should not pass them off to someone else so that they can infect them. Let's move to the next sentence in the verse. 
Paul says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Now, of course, to be haughty means to be arrogant. And and if there's anything that destroys harmony, it's not just a lack of humility, but a heart that is haughty and self-righteous. They're they're snobbish and, and arrogant and proud. These are the people who look down on us from their lofty theological position or any opinion they might have, which is not only right and always so, it makes them better than everyone else. At least, that's how they behave. They would never confess that, but it's kind of the the horse that they're on. These are the kinds of people who think they've accomplished the harmony that Paul speaks of because there's at least one other person that agrees with them. But they're just blinded by pride, not being able to see themselves through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I haven't been around for a real long time, but I think I've been around long enough to observe you know, certain trends within various Christian circles. And one of the, I think probably the strangest thing I've noticed is not simply the tolerance of arrogance among Christian leaders, but the celebration of it in various contexts where those leaders differ with others. And quite often these differences are not over major doctrinal issues, but simply just minor ones. And even when things are over major issues, it wouldn't justify the sacrifice of godliness uh, and humility and the virtue of being winsome and charitable with an opponent. And even worse, this arrogance then spills over to our young people, typically the college age especially, who feel justified in their vilification of those who disagree with them. At this point, Christian leaders are guilty of arrogance as well as causing our young people to stumble. You know, Jesus spoke very gravely about causing others to sin with us or because of us. He says it would be better to have a millstone, and the word he uses in Greek is the lower millstone. This is the 800-pound millstone. He said it'd be better to have that thing tied around your neck and be tossed into the depth of the sea than cause a little one to stumble. Meekness should never be replaced with meanness in the name of being right, even over essentials. There's no commendation or prize from the Lord for this. There's only the praise of those who agree with you. Jesus said something about the Pharisees in this regard. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, the reward of those who praise them, but there is no reward in heaven. I think something we have to ask ourselves is when is it justifiable for Christians to be self-righteous and mean, to be high-minded and haughty? You know, there is no such verse in the Bible that would encourage or justify this, especially in light of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his conduct, and the verse that is before us. Scripture says that all who are proud at heart are an abomination to the Lord, Proverbs 16, verse 5. So what would be the benefit then of defending the truth in arrogance if you're an abomination to the Lord? I think the two are mutually exclusive. You know, Paul told Timothy, who was pastoring the Ephesian church at the time, he said, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. That's 2 Timothy 2.24. So, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Paul would say that arrogance... And self-righteousness would disqualify someone from Christian leadership, even in the context of correcting those 
who oppose us, who oppose the truth. And if a leader behaves this way, their conduct should not be tolerated. And if there is no repentance, they should be removed from their position. And if they cannot be removed from their position, they should be ignored. Being right is sometimes more than some people can handle. And for those who cannot hold the truth with humility, they should not be in leadership. We cannot make exceptions for Christian leaders, even when their position agrees with our own. We have to understand that we're not addressing a position at this point, we're addressing conduct. And conduct is essential if people are representing Christ in a place of leadership, if they're affecting the way other people will live, the decisions they make. Now, in this whole context, I'm not talking about being confident in one's position and holding it tightly. You know, believing in what you hold to be true, that's a good thing. But it's even better when it's held in humility. And I actually love it when people have strong conviction, even when their convictions differ with my own. But what we're talking about here are those who give themselves an elevated position in the context of disagreement, which they think gives them a right to belittle, to shame and condescend the opposition. It's it's not ungodly to have strong convictions. It's ungodly when you hold those positions over others and think you're better than others or you bring down others. This does not produce harmony within the body of Christ. It causes division, anger, and it just hurts people unnecessarily. It doesn't win people, it just turns them away. It ultimately elevates personalities and ideologies, saying that every ideology has its prophet or spokesperson, both of which Paul condemned in 1 Corinthians. You know, talking about, I'm with Paul, I'm with Peter, I'm with Apollos, and so forth. So in the end, people are not following Christ and his example, they're following people, which just is not Christian. Now, for those of you that know me, know that I have no tolerance for false teaching that would endanger the health of God's people. But I have no right in my vigorous defense of the truth to belittle or shame someone, just as you do not have the right. Arrogance should not be tolerated among leaders, and the laity should be confronted and warned about it keeping in mind that according to Paul, arrogance should be less tolerated among the leadership, but sadly, it's the most tolerated among the church, while the laity is often strongly rebuked and held accountable for it. You know, this will need corrected if any church or Christian is to be, or rather, is to obey the text before us. And and if you just happen to be one of those people who cannot disagree with others in a humble way, or your way of convincing people just turns people away, or your way of arguing always hurts people, you should avoid any discourse where there is disagreement, especially if it's on a public or social platform. You should get away from that. Besides, Jesus mandated that if we are to correct someone, it should begin in private. So please understand, if that is you, your voice in the public arena is not consistent with Christ's. And therefore, it's not beneficial to his glory. You should find some other outlet into the way you communicate is charitable. Let's move on. Rather than being haughty and high-minded, Paul says we should be humble and associate ourselves with the lowly, which is to say, the humble. Uh, One translation says we should associate with ordinary people. You know, proud people seek out those 
who they feel are of equal caliber to themselves, or they find people who give them praise. That's really shallow. Whereas the humble seek out people for the sake of others, they look for opportunities to be a blessing. They're not interested in their voice and their opinions being heard, but their service being received, their service being a blessing. Minor differences among people don't send them into a tizzy, especially when those differences come from young believers. And if they happen to be involved in disagreement, they're the reason the, fl- the friendship continues afterwards, because they disagreed charitably and humbly, and they refused to be ungodly. This is the person that doesn't always win the argument, but they almost always win the person. For them, being right is very important, but winning the person is even more important. And because they won the person, they'll have another opportunity to discuss the truth with them. This is something we should all strive for. It's the arrogant person who insists on being right at the expense of their opponent. And because of that, they'll likely never get another chance to win the person. They've lost them and it's over. They're just a right monster who scares everyone off and blames it on their opponent for being naive and ignorant. This is not in keeping with the spirit of Christ. Pride is the sin and the snare of the devil. We need to get our heads straight on this issue. The body of Christ exists for the glory of God. And the extent that we purge ourselves of this, this arrogance will determine the level of harmony we experience with each other. You know, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I think we could all settle for some harmony and humility. The last line says, never be wise in your own sight. Of course, this is related to the arrogant person who's not, who not only thinks they're right, their opinion must always be stated with the severest authority and accuracy. This is the person who discredits every other view because theirs is the most thought out, which makes it best. They're always right, even when they're wrong, and there's no sense in convincing them otherwise because according to them, you can't change the truth of which they have. Paul doesn't just say avoid being this person. He says never be this person. It is void of all virtue, resembles nothing of Christian humility, They never achieve harmony with others because they insist that everyone ought to harmonize with them. Avoid these people, I would say, until they humble themselves. We should be too busy working together for the glory of God and giving the church a reputation of harmony and humility. The church is an organism of synergism, bringing all our gifts together, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, for the edification of itself in love, for the good pleasure of God. So, in keeping with Paul, let us strive for harmony and let us strive for humility. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we understand that uh, arrogance is a product of the sin nature. And it's not justifiable when we come to Christ and, and we learn our Bibles or we, we, uh, we get theology, uh, uh, our mind wrapped around it, we get a good grip on it or a working knowledge of it, Lord. Arrogance and pride is never justifiable. It's never good, it's never, never healthy. And it's, it's completely unchristlike. Lord, you have called us to be at harmony with one another, to associate with the lowly. 
And so I pray, Lord, that you would grant us grace to see ourselves as we really are, especially as we assert ourselves in conversation, our opinions, uh, our thoughts. And uh, Lord, we would be aware of the way that we come across. Because Lord, I, I, I want to believe that we all want to be humble and winsome, but because of the deceitfulness of sin, we just can't see it. So I pray that, that you would reveal to us the way that we are. And Lord, if you use somebody else to explain it to us, to show us that we're, we're not humble, and, but we are arrogant, Lord, help us, help us to be humble and receive it, and then to change our course. And Lord, I know that um, the, the current uh, situation that we're in, and all of the political division, all of that, Lord, it's created all kinds of division among people, even your own people. And I pray that by your spirit, Lord, we would rise above that, and that we would represent you well, Lord. We want to be useful for your glory. Help us to be wise. And Lord, as decisions are going to be made uh, in spite of government uh, restrictions and lockdowns, Lord, whatever we do as a fellowship, we want to do it out of obedience to you. So help us to be wise concerning your word. Uh, Help us to be prudent. And Lord, that you, in the end of the day, would be well-pleased. Lord, thank you for your people. I just pray that you grant them grace. Lord, lavish your love upon them uh, during this time. And uh, you, Lord, we want to credit you with getting us through all of this. So Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we love you guys. We miss you, and uh, we'll be back together soon. Amen.